all you cool cats and kittens. Thank you so much for being with us today at our Hope City Church online experience. My name is Megan and my husband John and I are the Shepherdsville campus pastors. It's great to be with you. Whether you're tuning in from your living room or kitchen table or watching this on your mobile device, thank you so much for being with us today. I see you in your jammies relaxing and I bet it's so, so nice. For the last nine weeks, we've been in a series called Long Story Short, where we've been walking through all the major themes and stories of the Bible, trying to connect the dots and to better understand the God who wrote it. Now, hopefully we've been doing a good job at that, but the past eight weeks, we have covered a lot. So if you're just jumping in right now, I'll recap a little bit for you. We've covered the whole Old Testament so far with the beginning, where God created man and then man entered sin into the world and God's plan to redeem man of his sin was Jesus. Until Jesus came, God's people had a hard time following him and staying devoted. So during the whole middle there, we've covered God's warnings to man and the back and forth of man falling back and God wanting him and falling back again and God wanting him back and forth, back and forth until finally the birth of Jesus. He did his ministry for three years here on earth. He was crucified on a cross and last week was Easter where he proved to man that he really truly is the son of God by beating death and rising again. He came back to life and he said, gotcha to everyone. So we're almost finished and it might seem like the most important part is over, right? Jesus came, died, paid the penalty for sin. He rose again. But wait, there's more. The Bible doesn't stop after Jesus is resurrected. In a lot of ways, it's just getting started. Today, we're looking at what happened after Jesus. He came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, he returned to heaven, but then what happened? What are the disciples who followed him for three whole years supposed to do now? What about the people who experienced one of his miracles firsthand? What do they do? Jesus is alive. Great. But now what? Well, I'm going to tell you, but before I do, let me ask you this question. If your son died for the whole world so everyone can have a relationship with God, how would you let them know? How would you tell them? I wrote down a couple of ideas. I want to share them with you. This is maybe how I would do it. First idea I have is like maybe a big fireworks show that spells out Jesus loves you in the sky for everyone to see with rainbow colors. Now that would probably cover about two states worth of people. So maybe that's not big enough. Maybe we should go bigger. Another idea I wrote down is an angel could visit every person on earth and tell them about the whole story of Jesus. That way everyone would know. It's a little freaky though. Angels are pretty cool, but a little bit scary too. The next idea I have is an audible voice from heaven, maybe in the form of Morgan Freeman, to tell everyone about the resurrection and that Jesus died for them and that now they can go to heaven. It's a really good idea. Fortunately, it's my idea, not God's idea. So that's not what happened. That's not what God did. He did something a little less flashy. He empowered ordinary people like me and like you with the Holy Spirit. And then he told them to go tell everyone else about Jesus. No voice from heaven, no fireworks show, 
Just individual people filled with the Holy Spirit telling their story of what Jesus did. Let me show you. In Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 8, the Bible says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. These are the final words of Jesus before he returns to heaven. Go tell people everywhere about me. And that's exactly what they did. Over the next 40 to 60 years, from the book of Acts all the way to the book of Jude, through all of the Eons, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, the disciples told people about Jesus and they were saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church was created. The gospel spread to rich people, poor people, beggars, lawmakers, priests, kings, from Israel, Rome, Spain, and all over. They met in homes, in streets, in fields, even in prison, experiencing miracles, experiencing persecution, and the message kept spreading and the church kept growing. See, God is smart. He knew that on our own, our faith is okay, but together, as a community of believers, our faith is monumental. He knew that us meeting together, sharing our faith, and celebrating new believers was a good thing. So, he gave us the church, and this is where it starts. The Bible doesn't use the same term for church that we know today and that me and you use, which is defined as a building used for public Christian worship. Instead, the Bible has this term for church that's called ecclesia, which means a particular body of faithful people or the whole body of the faithful. So really, the term church in the Bible is just a gathering of really faithful believers. But as time has gone on, we've kind of glamorized the church and added many changes to it. It's gone from hearing the apostles in the streets with a robe and some sandals and maybe some wine to sharing stories in someone's house to singing in mass choirs and reading the scripture in Latin and instruments or no instruments and flashing lights or no flashing lights and big stages and little stages to online videos. But whatever the church gathering looks like, large, small, flashy or simple, its purpose is the same, sharing the good news of Jesus. So, okay, Megan, if the church is a community of faithful believers, that's great, awesome. But what does that mean? What is the church actually supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. The best place to find out is in the Bible, at the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts. Now, it's called Acts because it's the very first actions of the very first followers of Christ. And here, Luke is going to share with us the actions of the first community of believers. In Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, the apostles witnessed firsthand what Jesus had done, and they didn't just talk to people about Jesus, but they laughed together, they prayed together, they ate together, they shared with those in need, and they enjoyed each other's company. The church isn't just meant to be the place that you go, but the people that you share life with. It's meant to be your strength when your faith is low, your resource, your encouragement, and a plain old good time. The church is ordinary people like me and like you, experiencing faith, enjoying friendship, and eating lots and lots of food. So let's break this down of scripture. What does Luke say the church does? Here's four things that Luke says the church does. Number one, performs signs and wonders. Verse 43 said, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So what is a sign and wonder? Well, it's a miracle. When the apostles prayed for people, this amazing power was given to them by the Holy Spirit, and people experienced supernatural healing, like things we've never seen before. Many times, all throughout the book of Acts, Crazy, unexplainable things happened because the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that lives in me and in you and in all believers is powerful and it can heal us from hurts in our life and it can help us overcome even the toughest sin. God still performs miracles in our lives today throughout his believers, throughout the church. If you can in the comments, share some praise hands right now if God has ever used the church to bring a miracle into your life. Maybe your marriage was restored, lost child was found, an addiction was overcome, a diagnosis was changed, or a negative belief you had about yourself was diminished all by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, a healthy church prays for each other and prays for miracles and is never satisfied with the amount of good things that God can do. So the second thing a church does is that it gives generously. Verse 44 says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Giving is just a side effect of being in the presence of God. Everything about God is giving because he's the ultimate giver, giver of life, giver of his son, giver of opportunities to give. A church that gives understands that every single person on earth has a need, whether it be a financial need, an emotional need, a relational need, or a spiritual need. We are all in the business of meeting those needs because just like Christ, we want to live our lives for others. So that's what we do. We give. 
We give by donating food to essential workers. We give by supporting missionaries. We give by volunteering to work events, fold t-shirts, lead small groups, teach classes, join serve teams. We give by being there for others with our time, with our money, resources, and hope. We don't have to sell everything we own if we don't want to, but one of the best parts about being the church is blessing others and giving, and giving a lot. So who today can you call and give generously to? The church performs signs and wonders, gives generously, and number three, worships together. Going back to verse 46, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. See, this is why worship is a part of every service we have at Hope City. Worship builds our faith and strength in God and is better when it's done together. It doesn't have to look, feel, or sound any way. God doesn't care so much about how it's done, but rather what's at the heart of it. The apostles didn't have audio tracks or guitar pedals, but what they did have was a thankful heart. And that's what worship is about, giving thanks to God. That's why worship doesn't just have to be singing. We worship God anytime we give him thanks. Your prayers before dinner are an act of worship. Tithing is an act of worship. Communion is an act of worship. And all of this was designed to be done with great joy with other believers. Now remember, God doesn't force us to do anything we don't want to do. If you're new to following Jesus, it might seem odd to lift your hands and sing and start giving parts of your paycheck up. But none of this is a requirement of you. But I bet after a while of you sticking around, you'll find yourself desiring to find ways that you can thank God. So what does the church do? It performs signs and wonders, gives generously, it worships together in many different ways, and lastly, number four, it keeps growing. Verse 48 says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's our job as the church to share our faith with others. We don't have to know every verse of the Bible. We don't have to answer every theological question. We just have to share what God has done in us with someone else. The Bible calls this being a witness. Witness is defined as having knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience. Someone needs to know how God got you through your worst day so they can have faith that he'll do it for them too. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's not just the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. It's all of our responsibility. Think about the first time someone invited you to church. Maybe they invited you to a baptism or a family and friend day. And even though you might have had hesitations at first, you still came, you heard a message, and then you finally decided to follow Jesus. And if they had never told you about this church or never invited you to come along with them, you would have never experienced it firsthand and you probably wouldn't be here right now. Being a witness means considering every other person as more than just a friend or an acquaintance, but a soul that needs a savior. It's what Jesus has asked us all to do. Go and tell everyone about me. And it's really the best part about being the church seeing lives changed and the love of Jesus shared across all nations and to the ends of the earth. So if you take anything away from today, take this, that we as a community of believers sharing our faith with each other are the living church, that you and me are here for each other through life's ups and downs, through battles and victories. And it's our job to keep this community alive and to keep it growing. So make this commitment with me today. I, as a follower of Christ, will make a commitment to Jesus to love, to share, and to forever build his church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your church. I thank you for the community of believers that I have the opportunity to be a part of, who strengthen me, who encourage me, who are like my family. God, and I commit myself today to growing and building your church. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it takes, God, let me see souls that are in need of saving. Thank you for the opportunities we have to worship together, for the time that we have to be generous. I pray for more opportunities for us to not only gather, but to continue to give to those in need, especially during this time. I thank you for the strength you've given the church over the years, and I pray that you continue to build, continue to grow, to continue to strengthen this church. God, thank you for Jesus for paying the penalty for not only my sin, the sin of the world. God, and I thank you for each person who's going to come to know the story of Jesus through me and through others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.